Uh, We're going to read together uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, so please turn with me there. We are uh, working through the Gospel of Matthew in our evening uh, worship services together. We're in Matthew chapter 5, so tonight we'll be reading verses 13 through 17. The last couple of weeks we've been looking together at the uh, Beatitudes, that is the pronouncements of uh, blessings that Jesus uh, pronounces upon uh, Christians, it is Christians who... Uh, we find are the uh, blessed people, of course, the blessedness of the Christian, we found out in the Beatitudes, is the complete opposite of uh, what the world would call uh, blessed, uh, and yet the Lord Jesus sets us straight, gives us uh, the truth about who are the blessed people, their characteristics, and the promises that God has and holds out for them uh, of comfort, the kingdom of heaven, being a son of God and all these wonderful blessings that come to us. And you'll remember that those uh, Beatitudes ended with uh, a Beatitude, a blessing uh, upon uh, citizens of the kingdom. That's what we're talking about. Remember, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, description then of citizens of the kingdom. And you'll remember that there was a blessing there in verses uh, 11 and 12, 10 as well, blessed are those who are persecuted. And we talked about how the world uh, will revile uh, the people of God. They persecute the people of God. Um, but we are blessed uh, when we are pursuing his, his righteousness. They accuse uh, the children of God falsely uh, on my account. So we've talked about the, uh, Jesus has talked about what the world's perspective of the church is, that there's persecution for the citizens of the kingdom. But what about the citizens of the kingdom and their relationship to the world? Uh, what is our perspective to be? Well, this is what the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount uh, teaches us. So let's pick up the reading. Uh, we'll pick up the reading actually at verse 11, and then we'll read through verse 17, and we'll focus on 13 to 17. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed, says Jesus, are you when others revile you and persecute you, And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Remember, that was uh, leap for joy. Um, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, uh, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful words, words, Lord, that we know uh, perhaps very well. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, by your Holy Spirit tonight, you would again open up your scripture to us, Lord. We know that uh, there is always more for us to learn, uh, for us to grow deeper in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of your ways. And we need you to teach us uh, your way, your way of truth. Uh, So help us tonight to understand this passage, that as we go forth into this week, that we would not only uh, believe these things, uh, but that we would live out the truth that we would walk in the truth uh, for your glory and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, well, uh, we are thinking together then tonight about the salt of the earth and the light uh, of the world. Uh, we, um, uh, uh, this past week, uh, celebrated on September 28th, you may not have realized this, but on September 28th, uh, it was the 127th anniversary of the death of Louis Pasteur. Remember Louis Pasteur? Ever see that old movie about uh, Louis Pasteur? It's a good movie to watch. Um, he died in 1895. You might remember him uh, as the one who developed uh, germ theory. His germ theory changed completely the way people understood what germs were and how they worked. And uh, it was actually 30, I read this this past week, it was 33 years later to the day uh, after his death uh, that penicillin uh, was discovered. Um, but Louis Pasteur was a French uh, scientist, and uh, in the day in which he lived, uh, people believed that creatures and disease uh, just appeared. It was called spontaneous generation. Um, they believed that fleas grew from the dust, maggots from dead flesh. They also believed that people got sick from the air. It was called the miasma theory. Um, but he had all these experiments, and in his day, he was working on this germ uh, theory. And the thing was that uh, his, his developments, his theories and such, seemed very shocking and radical in the mid-19th century. And at times, he was, a, he was a lone wolf, but he kept on with his experiments and his teaching. Eventually, uh, a whole um, uh, science uh, uh, school was devoted to his name, and, and it uh, exists uh, today. But at the time, in the mid-19th century, a French newspaper, La Presse, said about Pasteur, I'm afraid that the experiments you quote, Mr. Pasteur, will turn against you. The world into which you wish to take us is really too fantastic. That is, uh, they said of Louis Pasteur, what you are saying is just too fantastic, it's too unbelievable. It can't be True. Well, the fact was that despite the incredulity and opposition and ridicule of the world that Louis Pasteur and his work would prove in the end to be a great blessing to the world. And as I read that story this past week, oh, you know, I think that there are many Christians uh, who can relate to Louis Pasteur. That is, Christians, according to the scripture, are seeking to be a blessing to the world uh, while that world itself does not recognize the blessing. And uh, speaking of another world, that's what the church does. We speak of the kingdom of heaven. We speak of the reality of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, which may appear too fantastic, uh, too unbelievable to the eyes of the world. But it's true. Nonetheless, Christians seek to bring blessing to the world, even though the world itself doesn't recognize it. And so... Uh, Jesus has just been speaking to the church about the fact that when you live for the Lord Jesus Christ as a citizen uh, of the kingdom of heaven, you are the blessed people, but nonetheless, um, others are going to revile you when you uh, hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. You're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, but you, on the other hand, says Jesus, you are two things. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So first of all, you are the salt of the earth. The word earth there, there's a distinction here. Earth simply means land, soil, uh, ground. So clearly Christians are not to be so heavenly minded as someone has said that you are no earthly good. Here Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, land, ground, soil, where you live. 
Uh, throughout the scripture, uh, we find reference to, uh, to salt, and particularly in, in instances uh, where salt is described as something that has a peculiar uh, taste uh, of its own, as salt does, as you know. And so Leviticus 2, uh, verse 13, uh, we read this, You shall season uh, all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer uh, salt. And so part of the offerings to the Lord had to be, in that sense, seasoned uh, with salt. You might remember from our study of the, uh, the book of Job, Job 6, verse 6, where Job said this, Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? I don't know if you remember that, but no one knows what mallow means. And so uh, ever since, people have been wondering, what was Job talking about? But nonetheless, we understand the first part. Uh, can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? The obvious answer is no, because salt has a taste uh, all its own. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we have reference to salt in the uh, letters of the Apostle Paul, where in Colossians uh, 4, verse 6, uh, he says this about our witness to the world. He says, let your speech... Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer uh, each person. So clearly in the scripture, and as we know in our own modern day, the thing is that salt has a peculiar taste of its own. Salt also uh, preserves from corruption uh, when mixed with meat. As you know, I like to read about the Civil War, and so uh, I, I know a thing or two about salt pork. Um, I guess that's what they ate. Everything they ate had, had salt, salt, salt. Why? Because there was no uh, refrigeration. And so uh, they had to, had to cram stuff with salt and pack it with salt and so, um, in order to preserve it from uh, rotting. And uh, salt preserved. Salt is put on the roads uh, in northern states to melt the icy roads in winter or to prevent them uh, from freezing. Salt, you may also know, salt's uh, peculiar in that it, uh, it acts kind of secretly. You can't always see salt. And so when you're over at someone's house for dinner and, and you're about to eat, eat, eat a meal and you take a great big bite of something and uh, you didn't know that it was filled with salt, right? Because you couldn't see it. Uh, you can't always see it. Salt can also be confused with sugar uh, because salt and sugar uh, look, of course, uh, so much alike. Well, what did Jesus particularly have in mind? Well, the exhortation helps us. You are the salt of the earth. That is, you have a, as a Christian, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as belonging to Jesus Christ, you have a particular taste. That is, you have a particular uh, uh, flavor. You have a, uh, a, peculiar, uh, a peculiar character that you bring to the world. But if salt has lost its taste... So if it doesn't have any kind of peculiar character, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled uh, under people's feet. In other words, salt, to be salt, has to have, does have, a peculiar taste uh, for those who embrace it, who experience it. So for Jesus, Jesus, the question here is, If salt no longer has the property of salt, the taste of salt, its saltiness can't be restored. It's no longer good for anything. In other words, it doesn't serve any purpose. The only point of salt is that it stands out, it is peculiar, and it is known uh, by the world. I think of uh, 
I think of growing up with uh, bubble gum. I don't know, do people still eat bubble gum? I don't know. When I think about tasting something, I remember bubble gum growing up, saving money uh, to buy a uh, pack of hockey cards up there in Canada, trading cards. In the old days, every pack of cards would come with a stick of bubble gum. And so as a little boy, this was the best, 25 cents. Uh, you get six hockey cards uh, and a stick of bubble gum. Problem was, five or six or seven chews of that bubble gum, it was done. That's it. Uh, no more taste. Uh, you'd, get, you'd, be, you'd be lucky to get uh, you know, a, f- a little bit of juice out of that bubble gum. And then you spit it out uh, on the ground, or you stick it under your desk, wherever you happen to be. Um, that happened when you were little. I'm not saying I did, but some, some people would, would do that. Um, now, pure salt is sodium chloride. Uh, it's, it's, it remains salt. It does not become non-salt. But how does salt then lose its saltiness? Well, through a process of adulteration, of... Uh, contamination of infiltration of foreign substances becoming mixed with it so that it's, it's, it's no longer uh, really salt. It doesn't serve its purpose. And so, for instance, you might read about this, that the uh, salt that came from the Dead Sea and that does come from the Dead Sea is much inferior, apparently, to the salt that comes from the Mediterranean Sea. Why? Uh, because the salt that comes from the Dead Sea is, is mixed with other chemicals. And so it's, it's, it's impure. It's not really... Salt. Now, here's the thing. Jesus says to kingdom citizens, you are the salt of the earth. That is, you are peculiar, but there's also something here about preservation. Listen to what William Hendrickson says, commentator. Salt combats deterioration. Similarly, Christians, by showing themselves to be Christians indeed, that is, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are constantly combating moral and spiritual decay. How often, he says, does it not happen that when a believer suddenly steps into a crowd of worldly individuals, the off-color joke by which someone was about to entertain his companions is held back. Uh, The profanity is left unspoken. The wicked plan remains unexecuted. To be sure, the world is wicked, yet God alone knows how far more corrupt it would be without the restraining example, life, and prayers of the saints. You might remember in, uh, I think it's in the book of Jeremiah, where God's people are in exile. And remember, God says through Jeremiah to the people, you pray, pray for the city in which you are. You are in exile, um, but pray for the city into which God has led you in exile, because in, in their being blessed, you will be blessed. And so, so the city itself, which is unbelieving, uh, reaps the blessing of having uh, Christians, believers, in their midst, as believers pray, as we pray for our government leaders, um, there is a blessing uh, for our nation as a result. Even though they're not aware of it, even though they don't acknowledge it, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we know that we are the salt uh, of the earth. This is what we believe. Now, not the Pharisees and Sadducees. They are not the salt of the earth. It's citizens of the kingdom. Uh, Yes, they had the name of religion, but they did not, here's the thing, they did not bring blessing but burden to the people. Uh, Remember the Bible says about the Pharisees, uh, they would tie up heavy loads, uh, put them on the people, uh, but then they wouldn't uh, lift a finger to help, right? That's what was said of the Pharisees. So they're not acting as salt of the earth. They're not blessing people by their presence. Uh, They are actually adding burdens to the people. They didn't welcome Jesus the Messiah, They would reject him. Instead of serving to bless all those around them, 
uh, by their adding to the law of God, their hypocritical ways. They did not preserve or flavor anything for God's glory. Instead, uh, they led people astray. So here's the thing. Jesus says to you and I, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the salt of the earth. You then are meant to be spread throughout the earth. You are meant to infiltrate the world around you, bringing the reality of the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ to all whom you touch. In another uh, way, uh, the Apostle Paul will say that Christians are the aroma of Christ um, wherever you go, because you are the salt of the earth. Friends, the presence of God's people here, according to Jesus, throughout the earth brings blessing to the earth. So that even as we have just found out in the Beatitudes, right, uh, we are supremely blessed, nine times pronounced blessed as citizens of the kingdom of heaven who belong to Jesus Christ. But we are blessed by God in order that indeed to the world we would be a blessing. No retreat here, no withdrawing here, right? Salt is meant to be used in school, work, business, neighborhood, wherever. Kingdom citizens, says Jesus, uh, mean blessing for the land. You are the salt. Uh, of the earth, and you are the light, says Jesus, of the world. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, uh, and it gives light uh, to all in the house. You'll note here, you're the salt of the earth. That means land, ground, soil. Uh, You are the light of the world. The word world is cosmos. That means the Creation, it can mean the, um, you know, the good creation that God has made, the world in which we live. It can refer to the, uh, the world of men. Uh, it can refer to the world of, of men in, uh, in sin. It can refer to the inhabited uh, world of men. And so clearly this is uh, speaking of uh, uh, relationships to others, other people. Uh, you're the light of the world, people who live in the world that God has created. Light, of course, uh, is utterly distinct from darkness, just as salt has a peculiar taste of its own. Uh, light is utterly distinct from the darkness. Uh, the smallest of lights dispels a great amount of darkness. Right? You can be in a dark room and just, um, you know, just light a match, right? and, um, and, and it fills the room. Light, you know, guides. Light encourages. Light gives Hope. Light in the Bible, of course, represents um, a lot of things. Uh, Psalm 36, verse 9. Light represents uh, the knowledge of God. Listen to this. For with you, the psalmist says to the Lord in Psalm 36, 9, for with you, Lord, is the fountain of life. Uh, In your light, in your light, do we see light. So in knowing God, we are able uh, to see Uh, Light in the Bible represents what is good uh, and righteous. And so when the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 is talking about uh, what has happened to believers, this is what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, uh, but now, listen to what he says, but now as Christians you are light in the Lord. Notice he doesn't say now you're in the light. But he says, you, you once were darkness. That is, that, that was your character. That was my character, right? In the darkness. But now in Christ, you're actually light. 
in the Lord. And then he says this, walk as children of light. Well, what does that look like? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Psalm 97.11 talks about light representing joy and gladness. The Lord himself is our light. Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is our light and our salvation. And you think about the book of Revelation, how the Bible ends and says, you know what, in the new heavens and the new earth, it's not going to be any sun, not going to be any moon. Uh, because, why not? Well, because uh, the Lord himself will be our light. Now, that's interesting, too, because, you know, people think about creation, and they say, well, wait a minute, how can there be, um, you know, how can there be light before day four when God creates the sun? Well, the end of the Bible says there's going to be light without the sun. There's not going to be sun and moon. Um, the, uh, the Lord will be a, the light of the new heavens and the new earth. This is not a problem uh, for the Lord, and so he represents light. And, of course, just before the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we had read this in Matthew 4, verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness. So one chapter before, these words we're reading tonight. The people dwelling in darkness, Mark 4, Matthew 4, 16, have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And that is speaking, of course... Uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. So note this. According to Jesus, light possessors. When Jesus comes as the light of the world, shining into our darkness, we're taken uh, out of the darkness and we're taken from darkness. We become light in the Lord. So light possessors, as someone has put it, light possessors become light uh, transmitters. Right. So the light of Jesus, joy and gladness and truth, Forgiveness and hope and peace. All that we have in Jesus, forgiveness of sin, becomes ours so that we might then again reflect that to the world around us. So the citizens of the kingdom taken together, says Jesus, are the light of the world. And uh, and wonderfully, later in Scripture in Philippians 2, we find from the Apostle Paul that every, every, so the church is the light of the world, but every individual Christian, notice what? Paul will say in Philippians 2, 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that's very practical. Just, you know, don't, don't be disputing, arguing with everybody. And then he says this, um, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, right, citizens of the kingdom, without blemish, in the midst, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, how do you do that? Well, he says, holding fast to the word of life. Amen. So did in the day of Christ, I, says Paul, may be proud that I did not run in vain uh, or labor in vain. So here's the thing. The Bible is teaching us here. Jesus is teaching. Uh, he is the light of the world. We are the light of the world in him. And that light is meant to shine uh, as the church, but as individuals too, in the midst of the darkness. And so Jesus here is talking about our relationship to the world. Now, this has a, a long history in the church, long history of, of uh, different, uh, you know, arguing back and forth. What is the relationship of the Christian? What's the relationship of the church to the world? Now, there's been different answers to that. Some have said, well, it's the church uh, against the world. That is, there's a death struggle and only one will win, but, uh, but really it's, it's nothing but antagonism. And we see a lot of that, of course, in our world today. 
Uh, some have said, no, the relationship of the church to the world is the church, is the church needs to be separate from the world. We need to withdraw from the world and not contaminate ourselves with the world. We need to, we need to move to Montana uh, or Idaho or uh, you know, somewhere remote and, um, and just get away from the world. Some have said, uh, well, the church uh, really kind of exists alongside the world. There's two separate worlds. You know, you've got a world of Sunday where you're Christian, and then you've got the world of Monday to Saturday where Christ is not Lord, and you just live for man, you do your job, has nothing to do with Jesus, and there's just two different worlds, and you, they just live side by side, but never the twain shall meet. You've got your Bible on Sunday, and the ways of the world the rest of the week. And, of course, uh, there are those who have said, well, uh, the relationship of the church to the world is that the church is meant to, uh, is meant to uh, transform the world, that there is supposed to be some kind of impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world in which we live. Now, according to Jesus, uh, a Christian has to have the conviction, yes, the church is not to become the world, not to withdraw from the world, but in fact is to make a difference within the world, you see. Light shines in the midst of darkness. This is what our calling is as we hold fast the word of life. You are that light. Uh, Listen again. Christians are never a light in and by themselves. Uh, They are light in the Lord, says one commentator. Christ is the true, the original light of the world. Remember, he has come into the darkness. Believers are the light of the world in a secondary or derived sense. Jesus is the light lighting. Uh, They are the light lighted. He is the sun. They resemble the moon, reflecting the sun's light. Apart from Christ, they cannot shine. The electric bulb, now he wrote this a little while ago, the electric bulb does not emit light all by itself. It imparts light only when connected and turned on so that the electric current generated in the powerhouse is transmitted to it. So also as long as Christ's followers, he says, remain in living contact with the original light, they are a light to others. See what that means? So as citizens of the kingdom, in union uh, by faith with Christ, he's the king, when we are united to him, if he is the light of the world, Jesus is saying, inevitably, uh, you then transmit that light yourself. Not by yourself, not in yourself, but insofar as you are united to Jesus Christ. You cannot help uh, but transmit something of who he is uh, in all his glory and wonder and light and life and truth to the world. Now, here's the thing. The problem, problem is twofold, I think, when it comes to thinking about the light of the world. You have, on the one hand, uh, professing Christians who love the light, talking about the light, studying the light, arguing about the properties of light, the speed of light, the intensity of the light. But because they're consumed with their electric bill, uh, they keep their lights off, or they're afraid that their neighbors will realize somebody's home and knock on the door. Uh, This is the professing Christian for whom it's always Halloween night, and they're terribly afraid someone will knock on their door looking for candy, right? And so the lights are all off, and you're just hiding inside your house. Someone knocks on the door, I'm not home. You, You don't want that light, anyone to recognize it. On the other hand, there are professing Christians who uh, love to be in the streets on Halloween night. Uh, They love being in the midst of their neighbors. 
joining in with their neighbors. Uh, so when their neighbors have a skull and crossbones in their yard, so do they. Uh, when their neighbors put up a half body in their tree out on their front yard, as you've seen on Halloween, well, these Christians do too. Um, you know, they're in the midst. Um, uh, this professing Christian is not hiding at home, uh, but they're fully engaged in the darkness, uh, but they have no light to offer. So, so which are you? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are a light possessor and a light transmitter. But do you see yourself as, you know, if someone knocks on your door looking, looking for light, you, you, just, you, don't want, you don't want them to know. Or are you so engaged in the world, uh, you've forgotten you're supposed to be light in the midst of the darkness, not simply engaged in the, in the darkness. Neither of those things, of course, is what Jesus calls us to be. Verse 14 to 16 help flesh out what Jesus is after. You are the light of the world. A city set or built on a hill. Who does the building? God does. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Basket there is like two or three gallon pail today. Uh, but they put it on a stand. This is not talking about a candle and no Satan can't blow it out. Um, it's not a candle here. It's a lamp. Uh, an oil lamp would have been known in these days. And says Jesus, you don't do that. You don't cover it up. But it gives light to all in the house. That is it. It permeates, it fills, it reaches out, it spreads, uh, and it spills over to everybody in the house. In other words, they all benefit from it. And then Jesus says, in the same way, let your light as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven belonging to Jesus Christ shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What does this tell us? Tells us at least a couple things. When Jesus speaks to us as those who are supremely blessed, uh, we are to live in the midst of the darkness as his believing people, unashamed, uh, open, uh, having a visible testimony to the truth as it is in Jesus. Visible testimony, unashamed to the truth, as it is in Jesus. You are not called, says Jesus, into my kingdom to be a kingdom disciple, to live as a citizen of the kingdom, to whom are promised blessings now and for eternity in order to keep this work of God hidden. What God has done in our lives through Christ uh, is, meant, is meant to be lived out, you know, visibly before others, not for our glory, as the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and teachers of the law, remember the Bible says they would pray, um, uh, they would pray on the street corners, remember the Bible says, in order to be seen by men. Had nothing to do with the glory of God. Uh, they, they wanted to be seen. They wanted to receive some kind of praise and honor uh, and glory. No, Jesus says, but you, you are to live a visible, unashamed testimony to what Christ has done in your life uh, so that others might see his work in you and that the Father, indeed, would be glorified. Uh, you don't take a lamp and cover it up. Your life as a citizen of the kingdom must be, Jesus says, visible in the midst of the world and must give uh, light. 
light, right? You are a light spreader, Jesus says. And that light goes to all in the house. Uh, You must testify that you belong to the king, doing good works. That is, doing works that are coming from a heart of faith because you love Christ. They're done according to the word of God and they're pleasing to Christ, and they're done for, the, done for the goal of the glory of God, right? So you've got your, the origin of good works is faith, the manner of good works. How do you know what a good work is? Well, it's according to the word of God. And how do you know you're doing a good work? Well, you're doing it not for your own glory, but for the purpose of the glory of God, right? Pharisees wanted their deeds to be seen by men, so men would praise them. And so it is with some today. Right? Whether it's church attendance or moral living or generosity to others, for some, even in the professing Christian church, it can be all about self. Uh, the Bible says, Jesus says, listen, it's all about, uh, it's all about being a, a visible, unashamed testimony uh, to the light that's come to you in Jesus so that others can see something of what Jesus Christ has done in you to the glory uh, of God. A lamp set on its sand, says Jesus, gives light to all the house. That is, it fills the house. Small light, big light, light fills the space. And Jesus' point, friends, is simply this. Light brings blessing to all. You are a light spreader. Now, I know this morning I had a, uh, a C.S. Lewis reference, so tonight I have to have a, a Tolkien reference. Sorry, I have to go back to the Lord of the Rings. And so, uh, uh, in Lord of the Rings, Galadriel, uh, an angelic figure in the Lord of the Rings, says to Frodo, uh, the hobbit, uh, who has this great mission, this, he is the ring bearer. And she says to him, and you, Frodo, ring bearer, she said, turning to Frodo, I come to you last, who are not last in my thoughts. For you, I have prepared this. She's giving special gifts to the fellowship. She held up to Frodo a small crystal file, uh, glass tube, and it glittered as she moved it. And rays of white light sprang from her hand. In this file, she said, is caught the light of Arendil's star, set amid the waters of my fountain. And this is what she said. It will shine still brighter when night is about you. May it be, she says, a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That is the Christian. That is shining brighter when night is about you, right? If you are a light amidst, uh, let's say you're a candle or a lamp, surrounded by a hundred other lamps, well, it's hard to see, isn't it? Hard to see the life of Christ in you maybe when when there's a hundred other lamps around. But if you are the only lamp, and there is nothing but darkness around you, and you're surrounded by darkness, oh, that light uh, will be all the more clearer in the midst of the darkness. A light in dark places when all other lights go out. It used to be that in our country, uh, we could count maybe on the government, we could count on um, the schools, we could count on, um, I don't know, television even maybe, radio programs, to somehow contribute to the light in America. You know, teach good truths and speak about peace and speak about forgiveness and 
And as we talked about tonight in the Ninth Commandment, at least speak the truth, at least consider somebody's good name. And it used to be, you know, there were other kind of lights in America, but, uh, but as God is pushed out of government and as God is pushed out of the school and as God is pushed out of this part of our country and this part of the country, uh, it gets a little darker around. And the night surrounds, you see, the church. It surrounds the Christian. And how are we to think about our relationship to that darkness? Well, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And when night surrounds you, your light is meant to shine even brighter, you see. Even brighter. And it will. Tertullian, 200 AD, wrote this about the world around the Christian church around the year 200. But it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many, said Tertullian, to put a brand upon us. See, they say, speaking about unbelievers, how they, the Christians, love one another. For they themselves, said Tertullian, the non-Christians, are animated by mutual hatred. See how they are ready even to die for one another. For they themselves, said Tertullian, will rather put to death. So in 200 AD, when the world looked at the church, what did it say? Well, Tertullian said um, uh, they saw deeds of a love so noble. And they said, see how they, see how they treat each other. See how they love one another. They are so distinct. And he, Tertullian said, well, they said that because they would rather tear each other apart. And... Uh, what is it about the American church, friends, that stands out today? Uh-oh. Well, is it, you know, does the, does the culture look at the church today? What do they say? Uh, do they speak about the church? Do they speak about sovereign grace and say, uh, oh, the deeds of a love so noble. See how they love one another. See how the church sacrifices for others. See how the church resembles the Savior. That's what they need to say. And uh, as the darkness comes around, as Jesus says, no, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because Jesus Christ is the light dwells within you. Let me end with a word from J.C. Ryle. Surely if these words mean anything, you are the salt of the earth if you're a believer. You are the light of the world. We are meant, says Ryle, to learn from these two figures. There must be something marked, distinct, and peculiar about our character if we are true Christians. Got to be. Salt's peculiar, and light shines in the dark. He'll say this, it will never, says Ryle, do. It will never do. Do you believe this? It will never do to idle through life, thinking and living like others. Don't do that, says Ryle. It will never do. If we mean to be owned by Christ as his people, Citizens of the kingdom do not idle through life living like every other American. They are salt and they are light, says Ryle. Have we grace? Then, according to Jesus, it must be seen. Have we the Spirit? Then there must be fruit. Have we any saving religion? Then there must be, according to this passage, a difference of habits, tastes, and turn of mind between us and those who think only of the world. It's perfectly clear, said Ryle, that true Christianity is something more than being baptized and going to church. Salt and light evidently imply peculiarity, both of heart and life.
faith and practice. We must dare, he says, to be singular and unlike the world. And when we do that, says Jesus, we do that, that they may see uh, our good works as God works them in us for the glory of our Father who is in heaven. May that be true uh, about us as we go out uh, into this week, blessed supremely by the Lord Jesus. Blessed, 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 blessed. The world hates you, but you are meant to bless the world. May that be true uh, of us as well. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings we have in the in the Lord Jesus Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we're reminded that uh, we do not enter that kingdom unless we are born again, unless we ourselves have put our faith and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know we cannot do that of our own strength. We are dead in sin. But you who are rich in mercy, because of the great love with which you have loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. So we are not what we used to be. And so we thank you that you've taken us out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you then use us as the salt of the earth to be a blessing, as the light of the world, even as you have shone your light into us, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that we might go forth today, this week, as a peculiar people sharing that blessing with all those, all those whom you place upon our path, that they would see something, taste something of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.